Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Uh, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just clear it all up at the up front by saying me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists. We write on the internet in some print publications. And I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the places that you can read his work. Ben, where can we find your stuff? You can find my work at Motor Trend, Automobile Magazine, Driving Line, and I actually just started writing for The Drive. I'm starting a series on concept cars that were important but completely forgotten. Very cool. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, nouveaumagazine.com, and The Drive as well. This week we're going to talk about um, a couple of news stories. But first, Ben, I want you to clarify this um, story that you wrote for Automobile Magazine um, about the cars that were set up to succeed but failed anyways. What are we talking about here? So I, there are a bunch of cars out there that automakers came out with and then everybody decided collectively never to buy them. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> we, we all know about the ones that are famous, like cars like the Aztec uh, yeah. and just you know stuff that was kind of weird or maybe not the right time to be introduced. But there, there's another subset of cars that seem to have everything going for them. They seem to be ready to tap into a market segment that was waiting for new models. And then nothing, nothing happened. They, these no, cars- I, I, Absolutely, I know, I love this story. So keep going, sorry. So uh, I, I, I looked into a few of my favorites and tried to figure out why nobody was interested. And uh, I, you, you want to run down the list a little quick, uh, just just quickly for for the people listening, Sammy. Of course, yeah. Let's start with this uh, Acura. It's the 2010 to 2013, only three years. Uh, Acura ZDX, which okay. is a SUV that was meant to go up right up. Like honestly, it's insane because today we have all these SUV coupes, and the ZDX was one of the original ones back in the 2010s. Well, so that's that's what I thought, and, and in fact, I, I at first I'd always thought that the ZDX failed because it was the first and that it was too new and too weird. And anyone who remembers it back in the day, it, it does look nothing like any other Acura. It had the huge shield grille, which was kind of controversial at the time, but it was mm -hmm. a very portly vehicle. Uh, yeah. But actually, the BMW X6 had come out two years beforehand. Okay, so perfect, but th that means that there was a BMW version of this car. It was probably too expensive for the people who really, really wanted it, and they could have gotten an Acura version instead, right? Exactly. Why wouldn't that work out? Exactly. <laughs> it's 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 strange because the X6 is a much more homely vehicle. I mean, neither of these vehicles are attractive, but the first gen X6 was especially unattractive, and yeah. and yet it managed to build a segment. And when the Acura ZDX came along, it should have slotted into that for all the reasons you just mentioned, but it didn't. Nobody bought. <laughs> It was extremely I unpopular. I love how unpopular it is. A lot of people look at the ZDX and think it's related to the um, the weird. It was a weird Honda Accord. I think it was called the Cross Tour, and oh, that's man. definitely not the case. This car is actually more based on a Pilot or like in like a real truck than a, a, a crossover. You know, Cross Tour is something that I would love to talk about in depth one day. The, today is not yeah. that day. But uh, Cross Tour was such a weird, I mean, I don't know if Honda just went through a phase where they were like ZDX Cross Tour <laughs> and then uh, that never again. But um, the, 
The ZDX differed from the X6 in a couple of ways, and I think the most important one was performance, because mm -hmm. you could get a crazy V8 in the X6, and it was pretty quick, even though it was super big and super heavy. But for the ZDX, you could only get one drivetrain. It was a V6 that made 300 horsepower, which is okay, yeah. but then you throw in the fact that it weighed 4,500 pounds. Yeah, like I said, this thing was based on like a big truck, and uh, the ZDX, although it's smaller than I think a Pilot, it still weighed as much as one, and that doesn't bode well when you've got only 300 horsepower. Yeah, so it wasn't fun to drive, and it was also very, very impractical. So the X6, yeah. also impractical, but the Z ZDX, especially so. And I think when you combine those two factors together, that's what killed it. It was people went in, and they were like, oh, this is kind of neat looking. And then they drove it, and they're like, wow, it doesn't have – it can't back up this, this uh, styling at all. Right. And then, you know – you end up with a total failure. <laughs> All right. The second car on your list is the 2006-2011 Chevrolet HHR. This is an interesting addition to the list, and I think it has a lot to do with the PT Cruiser and maybe even the Dodge Caliber. Well, the not so much the Caliber, but the PT Cruiser definitely. Uh, the HHR, for those who don't remember, it was a Me Too vehicle. It was something where Chevrolet looked at the PT Cruiser, which sold a million examples over its lifetime, starting in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I think until 2009. And uh, the HHR came out in like 2004, 2005, and it was supposed to fit into that retro compact panel wagon sort of styling. And uh, it, it was plagued by, it, it was full of plastic, first of all. And <laughs> the PT Cruiser was too, but it came from a different era. And I think people were willing to accept that from an older vehicle. I mean, Chrysler never said explicitly that the PT Cruiser was, you know, an advanced model at the end of its lifespan, you know. But here's the HHR, which is supposed to be supposed to be new, and it really didn't feel new, uh, both in terms of styling and in terms of build quality. And I think that really killed it. There were a lot of problems that happened with the vehicle, too. And it, it sold less than half what the PT Cruiser did. When I first saw this addition to the to this list or this uh, when I saw this point on the list of the HHR, I thought that maybe the PT Cruiser was a bit of a, a niche vehicle anyways, and it didn't really stand out in its class. But then I remember there was a bunch of boxy cars that came out afterwards. While they didn't have the retro styling that the PT Cruiser did, the Scion XV, the Honda Element, and the Nissan Cube all came out afterwards and were pretty popular in their own way too. Yeah, well, I think that moving away from retro was a smart move because retro is always a very self-limiting styling language. You can only do so much yeah. with it, and it can't evolve. So, uh, But I think, honestly, it was probably quality that had more to do with the HHR's failure. Uh, the next vehicle is the uh, 2006 to 2014 Subaru. It's officially known as the B9 Tribeca. <laughs> um, is this the first-generation Tribeca? Oh, it's the it's the both generation Tribeca. Oh, sorry. The second generation was a restyling, right? Or it, sorry, the, the refresh. It was pretty much the same thing. There's not really a second generation. What happened was um, Subaru should have had a built-in audience for a three-row crossover. This this mm -hmm. this vehicle came out in 2006 for the 2006 model year, I should say. Yep. And it was weird looking. They took the Hawkeye look of the Impreza and tried to put it on a much bigger platform, and it didn't really work. It was it was awkward and ungainly, but it also wasn't anything special. It had terrible fuel mileage because it used the three uh, the three liter or the three point six liter. I can't remember the, the anyway the flat six. I think it was mm -hmm. a three liter that you could get from Subaru. So it was it was a pig on gas. It was relatively small inside. It wasn't particularly nice, and everyone who owned an Outback or a Forester just kind of looked at it and went. Yeah, no thanks. And they just kept buying Outbacks. So, yeah. so this thing was so unpopular that 
they sold more ascents in the first year of production than they did in, I think, what, nine years of production of the entire Tribeca? Right. That's uh, terrible. They only sold 77,000 examples over nine years. It is absolutely this was a this was a huge um I don't know if it was an experiment for Subaru or how they dropped the ball so hard. I asked them about it when the ascent came out. Was is the ascent going to be another um Tribeca and what lessons they learned from it? And some of the um marketing managers and production uh, sorry, in product people said that the ascent really tried to push I uh, sorry, the the Tribeca really tried to push Subaru in a different direction and they weren't ready for it yet. They tried to make it premium, they filled it with all sorts of um premium materials for the time and for uh, Subaru. I think they said they did that, but I think compared to other vehicles at the time, it was decidedly low rent. And it was extremely, uh, and it was, it wasn't up to the, the, it wasn't up to the quality that the price tag, um, that they were asking for. And in addition to that, despite it having three rows and it was an extremely cramped, um, crossover. And then when you got to, to the ascent that they currently have, which is far more spacious, um, and actually does have some pretty nice interior, um, options. It's a completely different vehicle. They went and almost they they looked at the Tribeca and they said, "Let's do the opposite of what we did here." There's, uh, there's so much weird stuff about the Tribeca. I mean, first of all, they restyled it in 2008, mm-hmm. and it, they just made it super bland looking, so yes. even more anonymous. And the other weird aspect is they sold it for nine years. Have I mentioned that nine years, despite averaging like eight thousand sales a year? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really terrible. Not even that. So it's it's you know. Um, hard to understand why that vehicle stayed in the portfolio for so long. Every time I see one on the road, I take a picture because <laughs> it's just it's just so unusual. And I had a friend who used to work at a Subaru dealership, and he had a customer who every two years would come in and buy a new Tribeca. What? <laughs> yeah, wow. like three or four Tribecas in a row. So I hope Subaru <laughs> corporate sent him like a wreath and a fruit basket every holiday season. Because yeah, that- thank you for keeping our nameplate alive. Seriously. <laughs> Um, the next vehicle on the list is the 95 to 99 Oldsmobile Aurora. Now, this is for the the listeners who uh, still remember what uh, Oldsmobile was. It's a, it's a brand of GM. And what is the deal with the Aurora? The Aurora is a vehicle that should have been, could have been potentially the savior for Oldsmobile. And it was just terribly mismanaged. Um, Isn't every car that Oldsmobile released potentially the savior for Oldsmobile? <laughs> no, because in the 80s... <laughs> In the 80s and most of the 90s, all the all, all you could get from Oldsmobile were rebadged versions of other GM cars. They had the Silhouette minivan, which was just the Lumina rebadged. Yep. They had the, the G-Body in the 80s, which was just, you know, the Regal or the Monte yep. Carlo rebadged. There was very little original about Oldsmobile, and they tried to reboot it because in the early 90s, it was a time when the luxury segment was brand new. It was a very tumultuous time. You had the Japanese automakers coming in with Acura. Well, to be fair, Acura was around since the late 80s, but they kind of really hit their stride in the early 90s with Lexus around the same time, Infinity, and the Germans were kind of a little bit back on their heels figuring out where they fit into all of this, and, you know, Cadillac had been an afterthought for so long that uh, they were kind of trying a resurgence of their own. You had the North Star cars, things were getting a little bit better there, and Oldsmobile wanted a piece of that action, and yeah. in order for them to do that, they had to have their own car, and their own car was the Aurora. Okay, tell me about the Aurora. What is what is the deal with the Aurora? This is a vehicle with its own platform, own own powertrain. It could have been basically the, the Aurora was the Oldsmobile Acura legend. It was Ooh. a interesting car that uh, had 
it had its own unique power plant. They basically took the North Star, they cut off a little bit of displacement, and they made a four-liter version of it. So it's 250 horsepower. Oldsmobile pushed that engine in an LMP racing and at the Indy Indy Racing League, where oh, a version, right. yeah, a version of that engine was powering all those cars, and it was a front-wheel drive car. So it was intended, you know, it wasn't intended to go up against BMW or Mercedes. It was, it had uh, modest. Uh, I, what's, what's the word? Not expectations, but modest ambitions. But the problem is they didn't price it modestly. It was $5,000 more than any other Oldsmobile. So right away, customers would come in, you know, repeat customers. They would look around, see if there's something new from a brand they'd bought from before. And they'd be like, whoa, I can't afford this. This is like way different than anything I, I've ever bought from you guys. And then they just left the showroom. <laughs> Bye. And then, the, and then like the, money. the next year... They they doubled down on the price tag. They added like three grand on top of that. So, oh my God, uh, sales really plummeted. They tried to revive it in the second generation in the year two thousand by adding like a V six and kind of spreading out the lineup so it was watered down and not as cool anymore. <laughs> yeah. So you could still get like a version of the car, but it wasn't special. And three years later, Oldsmobile was dead as a brand. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we've got the Lincoln. This is two cars: the Lincoln Blackwood, and then I believe it's follow-up, the Mark LT. Yeah. So this is this is so interesting because these this is essentially a luxury pickup truck, right? Yes. And today we have luxury trim levels of all of your favorite pickup trucks from King Ranch and Laramie and Laramie Longhorn and I can't even remember what the GM models are called high altitude or something. Well, it's, um, so what you're what you just said is the key to why both of these trucks failed. We have high level trims of mm-hmm. existing pickups, and what Ford did was they took the F one fifty and tried to make it a Lincoln. And yeah. what this what the failure of both of these vehicles represents is it's an indictment of just how little the Lincoln brand meant in that era. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted a Lincoln truck. They wanted a nicer F-150. There was like zero brand equity for Ford to leverage in the Lincoln showrooms. And uh they didn't get it. They didn't get it to the point where they tried it two times in the space of like six years. <laughs> I, I, I truly love that they actually found the solution, which were these trim, which were these trim levels that we now know really well and are selling uh, particularly well too. Is that they were like, oh, I see, people just want an F one fifty, but they don't want to like use it like an F one fifty all the time. They want it, they want it to be comfortable, luxurious, and full of features. Yeah, they um, they, they realized they had where the brand equity lay, but there's there's so yeah. much strange stuff, especially with the uh, the first one, the Blackwood, where it had like a carpeted bed. And a tonneau cover yeah. that you couldn't remove. And it had, like, a tailgate that opened in the middle. There was just a whole bunch of stuff. They tried to make it, like, I don't know if weird on purpose is what they were going for. But they tried to differentiate it from the F-150, which was wrong. Because that's what people wanted. So, uh, it, I think also what frustrated Lincoln was Cadillac was selling EXT versions of the Escalade. Right. And they did reasonably well. And I think that's because Escalade was a brand that meant something, not necessarily Absolutely. Cadillac. And if they maybe made a Navigator version of the of the Escalade EXT, they might have been able to pick up some momentum. But this was just a disaster. I also, again, another I, – I didn't even realize that I had that uh, barn door style tailgate in, in back in, what, 2002 or 2003 – and now Ram is like, look, we've got this barn door style tailgate that you can use. I think that's so funny that so many it's kind of influencing the the pickup truck today just without that waste of a of a brand recognition. Well, it's, it. it's a gimmick, a, right? And yeah, you know, there's nothing that truck 
truck companies love more than gimmicks these days to try and differentiate themselves. Yeah. The next car is, uh, this might be controversial. The 2006 and 2007 Mazda, uh, Mazda Speed 6. So this car should have succeeded because, at least in the eyes of Mazda, because the STI and the Evo were doing big numbers. Not big numbers, but like big enough numbers to justify their existence. And Mazda, <laughs> Mazda was like, hey, we want a piece of that action. So they looked around their lineup. They'd already sold the Mazda Speed 3, which was front-wheel drive, reasonably popular, and, you know, fun. But they're like, we need an all-wheel drive platform. We can't fit that under the Mazda 3, so let's try the 6. And they ended up with a vehicle that had a lot of horsepower. It was like 274 horsepower. So in theory, mm -hmm. on paper, it looks good. But it was like a second to a second and a half slower, 0 to 60, than the STI or the Mitsubishi Evolution. Yeah. And it also had a lot of quality problems. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about this because I thought, I thought this car was actually pretty cool. Uh, a manual all-wheel drive turbocharged four-cylinder sedan sounds like a great. It sounds like a great car. Yeah. Um, but then it turns out that they're not exactly very reliable. Um, and this was that that time in Mazda history where it seemed like all of their cars kind of rusted. Yeah, and plus no rally heritage, right? They couldn't yes. leverage anything. Uh, even though you know maybe Mazda, or sorry, maybe Subaru and Mitsubishi were kind of moving past that image. It was mm -hmm. still something they used for marketing, and, and Mazda just couldn't tap in, and, and nobody bought them. They just, they're, they're very rare, and the ones that are left typically don't run. So, it, It's interesting that you brought up the STI when I used to think that maybe the there was a Subaru Legacy. I think it's called the GT or the Spec B or something like that. There's a like Spec that. B, and the, and the GT both had the STI engine. They were, they were 250 horsepower. But, um, you know, part of the Mazda 6 being... Um, not competitive zero to sixty is because it was larger and yeah. heavier. But if you're and if you're at Mazda in that era, you're not trying to sell legacy GT numbers. Like that's not a huge. That's not an enthusiast. It, it is an enthusiast market, but it's a very small one compared right. to STI and and Evo. So I think that they were looking at the youth market and they just didn't have a platform for it. The next car on your list is a 2004-2006 Pontiac GTO, which I think is a pretty misunderstood vehicle, that, that mid-2000s era um, rear-wheel drive V8 coupe. Like, this sounds like something that we get all the time now, right? Well, we don't really get it all the time. I can't really think of it. Well, there's, there's Camaro, which is going to be dead We have soon. Camaro. We have Mustang. We have Challenger. We have all sorts of, we have, you know. So you have, you have three, and one of them's dying. <laughs> and they sell so many of them. Yes. But uh, in that era, you have to remember that Camaro was dead. It had died in 2002. Right. So there were no rear-wheel drive coupes, affordable rear-wheel drive coupes, after the F-body from General Motors. You kind of had to buy a Mustang. And I, there was no Challenger in that era either. And uh, a lot of fans f uh, of performance and muscle, they looked to Australia and they were like, oh, Holden has all these super cool cars. Why can't we have one of those cars? And there was a big buildup at the time of interest in doing something with a Holden platform. So when they brought out the GTO, it, it felt like a slam dunk. It was like, OK, here's exactly what you asked for. But the problem was they ha it was half-baked, Sammy. They, they had... <laughs> I love it when the people demand something and the automaker goes, oh, you want it? Here you go. And they don't follow. They don't no, really they just kind of shove it out the door. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't like it at all. What this will shut you up. <laughs> yeah. So they got a GTO that looked really bland. Yes. Uh, it looked kind of like a bar of soap that had been in the shower for a little while. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't ugly. It just wasn't exciting. 
Uh, hmm. You couldn't put big tires under it at first. It was really hard to fit anything more than 245, and that restricted its performance. And also, it was heavy. And because it was heavy, it needed power, but it didn't get it. It got an LS1, which gave it 350 horsepower. Uh, it did the quarter mile in like 14 seconds, which is not fast. <laughs> so they they eventually got it right like a couple of years later or the second year. They gave it a, an LS2, a yep. six liter engine, 400 horsepower. It was much quicker, but it was too late. It was yeah, too little already, too late. People already knew what it was. Yeah. Right? How heavy was it? Was it really disturbingly heavy? It wasn't heavy, super like disturbingly time? heavy, but it was heavy enough that 350 horsepower just couldn't cut it. And it also, the looks, they were so bland because it was the same platform that they used in Europe uh, for Opel. And the Cadillac Katera had used a similar platform. It had been a total failure as well, like maybe five years beforehand. I think it might have gone out of sale just before the GTO came out. So I don't know who at GM Man, thought that was a good idea. <laughs> So they look. They had all the. They looked at this Cadillac Catera that failed miserably, and they're like, "Maybe we should take another step. Maybe we should make a two-door version." <laughs> and then, and then, three years later, Pontiac was dead as a brand. Yeah. <laughs> you are you sensing so a theme I also here? Love that. Yes, I love that Cadillac. I mean, sorry, uh, that Oldsmobile and um, Pontiac. These decisions practically like killed the brand shortly afterwards, right? Oh yeah, it was. It was just you know last ditch. That uh, Pontiac came out with the G8 like in its dying minutes. Oh yeah, and what a great uh, car! And then it, it wasn't enough. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, sedans, especially power performance sedans, it wasn't really a segment that GM had any notoriety in. So it, mm-hmm. you know. The last car into the sunset. The last car on your list is the. It's a very rare car, I think. Actually, the 2002 to 2005 Honda Civic Si EP3 hatch. Okay, it's rare because no one bought it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it has like it has kind of um, enthusiast value, but nothing else. I think well, when an enthusiast sees it, they go, "Cool," and that's it. <laughs> I think that that this is a car that really, really, really should have succeeded because this is a Honda Civic Type R. It, in fact, it is the last Type R that was imported before the current Type R. And uh, people had been asking for this car, clamoring for it, much like the Holden crowd wanted that wanted that special rear wheel drive V8 platform. Honda fans were like, "Oh, you're giving all you're giving Japan and, and Europe are getting all these cool Type R's, and we're stuck with the SI." So Honda looked around and they're like, "You know what? We can bring over our European version of the Type R and call it the SI, and that should keep people happy." The problem is. They gave it a 160 horsepower version of the engine that was being used in Japan. In Japan, this doesn't make sense. No, in Japan, it had 212 this? horsepower. It, it was yeah. a big difference, and I, I believe the car it replaced had 40 more horsepower. <laughs> yeah, the SI, the 2000, the, that like 99 2000 Civic SI coupe, which probably spurred a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasts' first car, was a blast to drive. It had a great engine. Uh, excellent transmission. It was high revving. It was a, a hundred horsepower per liter, I believe. Yeah. Right. So, so there, that combined with the fact that it was this weird hatch that was kind of like a bread van. It wasn't a normal hatch, yeah. and it had a suspension setup that wasn't that fun to drive. It was very conservatively tuned. Uh, all of these things together combined to make the EP through EP three one of the least loved. Honda Civics of all time uh, in terms of SIs. And it also didn't look like anything else in the showroom. Like you couldn't get a sedan version. You couldn't get a coupe version. So people who had traditionally bought the SI were forced into this model. And they did, They basically said not interested. Sorry. Uh, am I mistaken to know it as a with a different name? An SIR? Is that that was only, it was only sold that, as that in Canada. 
Okay, cool. So that's a pretty cool list. We'll put the link up on the show notes so that you can browse through it with, with while we while we talk about it. Or if you want to take a better look at what we're talking about, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, let's talk about some of the news that came out this past week. I want to start with this uh, Mazda 6 news. I found this on, on Car and Driver, a great report that uh, where they're talking about some of the cool cars that are coming out. Uh, they have 25 cars worth waiting for. And they think that the next generation Mazda 6 is worth waiting for because it's going to be using a new platform with with rear wheel drive in addition to an uh, an inline six engine with a 48 volt mild hybrid system. Okay, Sammy, I have a question for you right off the bat. Yeah. Who's this car for? <laughs> Who is this? I don't know. Can we talk about the sedan market and how it's going downhill? And now Mazda wants to reintroduce a premium style. Um, um, Rear-wheel drive Mazda 6? That doesn't make any sense. Not only that, Mazda wants to reintroduce a more expensive version of its least popular model. Uh, yeah. Right? No one is buying the Mazda 6, regardless of how good it once was. It's not as competitive in, in the modern market as it, as it used to be when it came out. It was an attractive and fun-to-drive vehicle that has fallen by the wayside. And... As you pointed out, Sammy, no one's buying sedans anymore anyway. So if you're going to try to transform your company into a luxury company, you'd think you'd focus on crossovers and SUVs like the CX-9, which is, you know, upscale and the CX-5, which is semi-upscale. I don't understand this move. So Car and Driver um, rationalizes it a little bit by suggesting that Mazda has been really getting in deep with its buddies at Toyota who might adopt the six-cylinder Skyactiv-X X for their next-generation Lexus IS and RC Coupe. That's apparently the, the hook, that Toyota's budget will help Mazda make reinvent its, its Mazda 6 as a whole new, different car. How many resources are they going to throw into promoting a car nobody is interested in buying? Because they simply because they don't want to be perceived as a third-party parts supplier to a competitor. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't know how this can go forward. However, there are some pretty cool um, suggestions here. First of all, they think that Mazda might actually make a four-door and a two-door version of the car. And I think Mazda's current design language will probably bode really well for a two-door um, vehicle. Uh, and I think that would look really sharp. And so if it is think, a real... Think, name me a successful mid-sized coupe that's not a luxury car. <laughs> yeah, I can't. <laughs> I truly can't. Um, successful is it's a definition that is that is proved in so many different ways. I mean, I don't know, but I do think it would be a pretty cool car. It might be fun to drive for that uh, two or three years that it exists on the market before Mazda dies off because they spent all their money doing this. And before Mazda pulls an Oldsmobile or a Pontiac, <laughs> yeah, like it's like exactly. this is this is very similar to what we were just talking about. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad, but it, it could be. I mean, the the real question is they've got Toyota helping them. Uh, potentially, they've got Toyota helping them fund this project. Yeah, Toyota's way. helping Subaru, too. I mean, how much longer before there are only two, three Japanese brands, Suzuki, Toyota, and Honda, right? Yeah. Like, Nissan's I, not doing very well, either. I love that. Maybe maybe that's the goal for Toyota, is that they want these automakers to, you make this car for us, um, and you can sell a version of it, too. And then that poor automaker dies off, and then Toyota goes, you know what, we'll just absorb you. And you work for us now, and we're just Toyota all around. The other thing <laughs> that I think it's important to point out about this vehicle is they're talking about how it's going to be a Skyactive engine with a 48-volt uh, um, hybrid system. Yeah. So Sky, the whole Sky thing Active, that hasn't been uh, – yeah, yeah, Sky, Sky Active, Active X is what they're calling it. An engine they have not been able to bring to North America. Yeah. 
followed, which is immediately following another engine they weren't able to bring to North America properly, which is their diesel Sky Active, which is nowhere near as frugal as it was supposed to be, which we talked about on the podcast back in December. So it's, do we really have any faith that Mazda has the uh, money required to develop this all new product? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a long shot. That's what I'm going to say. It's a, it's a long, long shot. Um, and even if they do pull it off, having a rear-wheel drive six-cylinder Skyactiv-X um, sedan or coupe seems like a very um, low-volume move, right? It won't make a huge impact for the brand on the no. they're, they're Halo hoping, vehicle. They're hoping for margin. They're hoping to become upmarket. I don't think they have that buyer base yet. I don't think they ha- they saw it with the Mazda 3 when they tried it. I think maybe in the SUVs it's starting, but uh, I, I just don't understand this move. Absolutely. Okay. But speaking okay. of weird engine moves, the next bit of news. The next bit of news. Cadillac CT4V Blackwing and Cadillac CT-V, CT5V Blackwing, neither of which will have the Blackwing engine. <laughs> so let's just recap here. The Blackwing V8 is this four point, I believe it's a 4.2 liter uh, turbocharged, twin turbocharged V8 engine that Cadillac has made that makes a buttload of power. Let me find out how much. It's like how much? 550 horsepower and it's hand built. And it's only sold in one vehicle, the CT6V, which yeah. is going to be out of off the market, what, next year? So right. it, it was around for a year and a half, two years. And the Cadillac has said they're not going to put it in either of these other cars, despite also having the Blackwing name. Yeah. Um, why did they develop this engine? And is there something really wrong with it to the point where they're not confident offering it on any more automobiles? This is the strangest move, is that they've developed this uh, branding for the engine. It is called the Blackwing. We know that the engine is called the Blackwing. We know it exists. It's out there. I've never it's... driven it or seen it, but it's out there. <laughs> they sold the, the engine in their top-tier sedan and then said, we're going to take that Blackwing name, put it on our other cars, but not include the Blackwing engine. This in makes no sense. In fact, those other cars are getting different versions of the engines that are currently available in the ATSV and the CTSV. So it's going to be at like a six a six point two supercharged, probably in the CT in in the CT five V. The CT four V. Who knows what it's going to get? It's very strange. I don't understand it. At least though, each of these vehicles will come with a manual transmission, which I fully support. That is the strangest news that I've ever that I've heard yet. It doesn't make it sounds like something was lost in translation, but they they issued a press release. This is the way they're going <laughs> with it. It doesn't make any sense. And the Blackwing, it's it's a dual overhead cam engine too. It's it's a fancy high tech engine. So you figure Cadillac would want to push that out there and kind of make themselves a tech brand. But I guess we're going to be getting electric Cadillacs in the future, and that's kind of the direction they're going. So I don't I don't get it. Will we see the Blackwing in the C8, Sammy? Uh, I don't know, man. Like I really Nightwing. the Nightwing, and then DC can sue them. Yeah. Um. So, like, my question is: This engine has been. I mean, engines don't. They don't just pop up overnight. Okay. No, it Nobody just a lot of money to develop them and time. And same with sedans and vehicles. That these new CT5 and CT4, they were in development for a long time. In fact, I kind of think that they're they're both a little late, to be honest. But. I would have imagined that all of these things were being built at the same time and they had this mindset to put them all together and then, then didn't. But then they put the names together. It just doesn't make any sense to and, me. I'm and sorry. Cadillac also said it will never be in the Escalade either. So, like, it's, <laughs> just, 
So there's not going to be like an Escalade V Blackwing. It's just not going to happen. So, I, I mean, why is this engine so secret? Has this engine been hurting people? Like, is it haunted? Is this a cursed engine? If yeah. you know the answer, please reach out and let us know. And you know what? That's a good way to end this week's podcast. I want to tell people how they can get in touch with us because we received a lot of uh, emails and messages from people who loved our our story last week about those fake Fast and the Furious movies. In fact, yeah. we got a link to this. Yeah, Garrett reached out to to send us a link to. There's a guy on YouTube who's done. Uh, he's taken the Fast and Furious movies and he's added human sound effects in place of all the car sound effects. So it's like a human being doing all of the voices, all, all the the car engine sounds. It's pretty cool. So that's that should have been on our list. Yeah. Uh, so if you have uh, some some thoughts you want to share with us, why don't you head over to our website? That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you're when you're there, you can click the contact button. You can fill out a form there, and it it lands in our inbox. It's that easy. Additionally, while you're at the website, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite uh, podcast client, or you can actually do that on your podcast app. It's super easy. No problems there. And, and that, uh, there's a few yes. other ways to get a hold of us, Sammy, aren't there? Always. We always cut each other off when we do this. We get so excited. Just so excited <laughs> to have someone reach out and touch us uh, digitally um, with their words. And you can do that in a number of ways on social media. You can get in touch with Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on the much friendlier, in- friendlier Instagram um, at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can go on the old school email, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Very cool. That's it for this week's podcast. We do have some more fun stuff to talk about next week, so stay tuned. I can't wait to talk to you then. Bye, everybody.